As the leading admissions management system and CRM for over 700 of the world's top international and independent schools, Open Apply supports every step of the applicant and family journey, from discovery through to inquiry, admissions and enrollment. We want to share a free recording of our recent webinar on managing transitions, in which our guest, Laura Schopfer, former director of the Community Relations and Head of Admissions at the International School of Zug and Lucerne, joined us in exploring how to make transitions easier for students, parents, and staff. You can access this recording by visiting the link bit.ly OA transitions, pronounced bit.ly forward slash OA transitions. Looking beyond transitions at the wider admissions journey, we would like to invite you to register for our upcoming webinar on professionalizing admissions. If you'd like to maximize efficiency and user experience, while promptly and proactively meeting the demands of your admissions and marketing team, as well as the high expectation of families and parents, join us on December the 13th at 9am GMT, that's London time, by registering the link uh, bit.ly forward slash OA admissions. That's bit.ly forward slash OA admissions. Last but not least, if you'd like to find out where your school's admissions process ranks compared to best practice schools and receive free recommendations on any areas for improvement, we highly recommend you check out our free new admissions benchmarking tool by visiting bit.ly OA benchmark, pronounced bit.ly forward slash OA benchmark. Welcome to International Schools Podcast. I'm your co-host, John. Uh, Dan is traveling in Asia. Uh, we're excited to have both David and Suzette today. David and Suzette have started a company called Yellow Car. And it's not a car company, and that might be what you think. But it actually is designing the experience of the school. And we get the opportunity to learn more what that means, especially for international schools in this uh, landscape that we are, where there are many more for-profit schools, there are many local schools, maybe even going private, or there are a variety of different permutations of schools. So you might be a school and you only have a slice of the market. And what does that mean? How you maybe generate that interest, that passion, uh, that commitment to be part of your community. So uh, David and Suzette, thank you so much for joining us today. I think what I'll do is just let you both introduce yourselves because you come with so much experience uh, in international schools and now have decided to go off on your own with Yellow Car. Uh, let's just hear a bit about that journey, how you got to Yellow Car. Yeah, John, it's great to be with you today. And um you know, I think one of the things that I would say is that for the last 17 years, I've been working in a school, maybe like lots of people who are listening today. Um, I was the director of advancement at the International School of Brussels in Belgium. And I was responsible with the team uh, of people that work with me uh, for school admissions, communications, fundraising, development, alumni relations. And, um, you know, I think this this is this is the context in which Yellow Car was born because it was the context in which we started to think about um, how do we do all those things that we need to do, like um, uh, recruiting students and raising money, but doing it in a way where we uh, also consider the journey that families are on. So that's something about me. 
Yeah, and so I'm Suzette. I have a, a background in hospitality and I joined David at the International School of Brussels uh, around 10 years ago. And particularly for the last few years, uh, uh, we've been leading the advancement team together where the focus has been on um, that journey of families in the school. So in your uh, journey, you start off, there's a lovely little section of your website and that's in the show notes. So do take some time to uh, look at the Yellow Car website. There's a great blog too. There's just a lot of really good information that's quite engaging. You talk about that experience of being on holiday in the car, children in the back, and of course the distance is long, you're bored, and you decide to start looking for yellow cars. And you use the anecdote where once you find one, suddenly you notice there are more yellow cars. And I just love that because that's such a memory that becomes very intrinsic for me having uh, lived in Europe and gone on holidays and we actually were looking for the red car or some other car but you you're looking for that unique color and the hope is that the more unique the color is the less there are and as you discover that suddenly you're like oh there are more red cars than I realized talk to us a bit about why that message why that anecdote you wanna... so, yeah I think I think the reality is that um, schools currently particularly after covid but i think the issue was there previously that we um we all find it hard to stand out um when parents are looking for a school in a town or a city um they probably google uh the you know best international school or some such thing and um they get uh, a, lo a long list of schools to look at and the reality is that most of those schools most of our schools tend to look the same and the way we describe our product, our school, is using the same language. And we even use the same pictures of students in, in chemistry labs and things like that. And so what we believe is that um, when it comes to standing out, one of the ways of being the yellow car in that list is, is actually to intentionally design that experience. And so, you know, we, we really felt because um, actually that story of the yellow car was part of both of our childhoods, um, that in some ways it provided a link and a memory for us, but it also was a metaphor that people could identify with. And to be perfectly honest, we wanted our company to stand out in the crowd, not just to be called Educational Consulting Limited or some such thing. Um, and so there's a certain intrigue that we want to put out there when it comes to talking about working at, um, at a company called Yellow Car. It's also it's also strange to us that people use all sorts of different. They they remember us in different ways. So sometimes we're yellow cab or yellow taxi, or yellow bus. Um, they always remember the yellow, but and they know that we get people from A to B. But the particular mode of transport is is unique to often where they what they're thinking about at the time. And what's what's fun is that in in making that mental association. Um, even today, you know, we had someone uh, send a picture of a yellow car that they see very often when they go to school every day. And they said, when, when we see that car, when I see that car driving to school every day, I often think of you and the work that you're doing. So then in some ways there is that standing out and it, and it causes a memory and, and an association with the work that we're trying to do. And I think the cases, and maybe Suzette having coming from the hospitality uh, background, is this idea of uniqueness. And, you know, you think of Apple, the computer company, and their logos think different. 
has nothing to do with computers, but we all know what that means. Or, you know, companies use that. Do you think that intentionality is something that maybe schools don't do? I mean, and they tend to, you know, use very similar terminology or branding or colors or just, you know, they're played safe a bit. And I think what you've done by Yellow Car, you're, I mean, there's no connection to what you're doing, but everybody now knows that Yellow Car does that. But there is that, you know, kind of risk in some ways of having a name that doesn't connect with what you're doing, but then it does identify you from the crowd. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think this is where uh, people connecting to that story, the story of Yellow Car, uh, and, and finding themselves or their schools in that same scenario allows them to feel connected and keep on thinking of us whenever they see a yellow mode of transport. Um, talking about international, uh, the the intention, the intentional, the intentionality of uh, designing experiences in schools. I think it's exactly that that is lacking. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no great experiences in schools. Um, a lot of the, the uh, a lot of the great experiences are simply created by chance, and we just didn't really uh, put a name to it. But understanding how uh, uh, well, first of all, understanding that every family is on a journey and what that journey looks like is already helpful uh, for schools to understand how they can be more intentional when designing that experience. And what we have done is uh, we've created this methodology called the life cycle of school experience, which is essentially that journey that a family is going through. And we've broken that down into six stages. That first stage is attraction, which is uh, uh, when a family is looking for a school for their child, um, they might be looking at a website, speaking to some of their friends or doing a, a Google search. Then hopefully they connect with the school. They go through the admissions process, which is the second phase admission. When it all goes well, they will be uh, onboarding in the school, the induction phase, which is the third. Uh, and once they are part of that community, which is the engagement phase, we want to retain them. Of course, we want to make sure that after all the work that we've put in place, um, that they stay at the school, which is that retention phase, the, uh, the um, fifth, phase. The fifth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, ultimately, when they leave the current community and they become part of your alumni community, uh, that is what we call the departure and arrival phase, the sixth. And what we're realizing is that just for schools and the people working in schools, to be able to break down that journey in almost manageable steps allows them to be more intentional about it. Because your strategy in your website, you talk about experience strategy. So experience is just not by chance or good luck or we have some great teachers and by coincidence, the kindergarten was doing something amazing with robots when the guest walked by and suddenly you think, wow, we're a STEM school, yet you do. But you really talk about the idea of a strategy tied to the experience. And you mentioned, alluded, that maybe sometimes schools do this all by chance. Do they do this by chance because it's just easier or they don't have the time? Why are maybe schools just hoping that by chance things all work? That's a great question. I mean, I think schools, first thing to say is schools are complex places with um, many different kinds of stakeholders. And, and, and anyone who's worked in a school will know that, you know, there are a lot of cogs that have to turn in order for a school to function, function effectively. Um, what we're saying is that, you know, um, many of those systems that are in place um, can be effective, but the overall experience may still be broken. So, so let, let's take a step away from 
a school context for a moment and think about the difference between uh, a hotel um, that is a reasonably good hotel and a great hotel. So, so the in any hotel, if you book it, you need to know that you're going to have a clean room, uh, a relatively comfortable bed, and uh, hot water when you take your shower. And those are kind of the basics that um, you know you expect from a hotel. And yet, there are some aspects of a hotel when you walk in the particular way in which you are greeted um the way in which they check you in sometimes in really great hotels they actually take you directly to your room perhaps you've had a long tiring flight and they take you directly to your room and check you in in your room so you don't even have to queue at that desk for a long period of time or they make it really easy for you to check out at the end or they offer you additional services like you know, access to the pool or a spa or whatever it is. And what a great hotel has done in most cases is looked at every step of that journey, literally from the car park um, all the way through to reaching your room, uh, take, making services available and ultimately your departure. So it's very like the life cycle that Suzette has talked about. And what we're saying is in just the same way as great hotels, have um, taken each step and planned it and planned what is going to be said and how you're going to be offered coffee, etc. Schools probably need to think a little bit more about the experience that they are delivering to families as they go through that process of choosing a school, getting engaged in a school community, being involved and ultimately leaving that school community. And that is by design. And somebody needs to think about doing that. And, and um, you know, it goes back to that question, well, whose job is this? Our belief is that um, there are people in functions like advancement, communications, um, admissions, etc. Those are very often the people who have um, uh, some real sense of uh, what that journey might be like and, and can offer some intentionality around that. And I think the danger actually is to think that it's only that team that curates the experience and yet they might be the ones overseeing that journey one way or another. But if you if you bring it back to a school context and you just consider a family coming to visit your school for the first time, we often think that when they arrive at reception is their first impression of the school. But that's completely wrong because they've already heard about your school, they've already looked at your website, they've already seen reviews uh, that other prospective or current parents wrote about your school. But equally, they had an experience coming onto your campus, they might have met the guards already. And this is where everyone in the school has a role to play when it comes to um, creating that experience. And this is, David just mentioned uh, uh, the, the difference between um, uh, like any hotel and a great hotel, you have the same when you look at theme parks. Like if you look at your local theme park, for me, that was definitely not the same as when I would go to Disneyland, where the moment you enter, everyone at Disneyland who works there has a role to play until they leave uh, leave the place. And, I, and it shouldn't be very dissimilar to schools. And that is really where the intentionality comes in. And I think, and I'm wondering, you know, from your experience, having worked with uh, many schools and also run, a, a, you know, an organization at that level of admissions and communications and marketing and advancement, is that most teachers 
feel disengaged from the process, not because it's purposeful or on purpose. They just don't think that's not their business. That is not their business is to teach and make sure good learning happens in the classroom. So, mm. you know, often I think, and, and from my experience, having worked in a few international schools, admissions is kind of on their own and they have to bring the, you know, bring the bums onto the seats but everybody else just does whatever they want. Not that they're doing whatever they want, but they kind of focus on their, what is central to them. How do you think you shift? So when you're working with schools, and I imagine, you know, you talk, you have this talk with the directors and the leadership teams. How do you, what are some things that schools can do to shift that kind of focus away from, oh, this is admissions business. We're just going to keep doing ourselves. Because what you're saying is that, even the guard has to be part of that experience. As soon, the first thing, the first human you interact with, that will mark you for the rest of that experience. So what are you telling schools to do or how do schools actually come around that creative tension? So it's it's a number of things. And it reminds me just as a, as a small anecdote to really underline the point you're making. I remember a few years ago, we were looking as a team at the, the different experiences that parents have at different stages in that life cycle. And we focused our, t our attention really on the way in which we welcome families uh, at our school at the beginning of their time. And we all know, you know, how many uh, in letters we send and how many things they have to read and how many um, coffee mornings we invite them to. And I think we counted at one point that, you know, a new family in our school would in the space of, let's say two weeks or maybe even 10 days, have the opportunity to attend something like 16 coffee mornings. <laughs> now, every one of those coffee mornings um, is is a, probably is a very valid coffee morning and, and would have been a great opportunity to connect. Um, but the problem of, of that kind of systemic view is that um, nobody necessarily is looking at how many coffee mornings is it good or even healthy for a new family to attend? And what is that going to feel like on their end? And I think, you know, we've all seen parents sometimes at the end of their induction phase of, as we've onboarded them. First of all, they're addicted to coffee, but they're also quite exhausted by the amount of information we've given them. Um, and what we've, what we've begun to do in these cases is to say, let's put ourselves in the in the shoes of the parent or the family and understand what we are doing and then have a conversation with those around us to say, how can we improve that experience for the family? Not for what we want to do for them or to them or the information we think they should have, but how do we shift that and put ourselves in those shoes? And I think this is where in working with schools, what we tend to do is we, we actually uh, develop something called a school experience audit that is a first conversation with many schools where we ask them questions and look at what's in place at different stages of the life cycle to give them a, a, a sense of where things are really shining and where things can still be improved in relation to that experience. But one of the things we say is that it's really important when a school engages is that it's the whole leadership team um, as well as the admissions advancement folk uh, um, uh, in support of that. But the leadership team has a critical function in curating that experience and thinking together about what does that mean for a middle school uh, principal or 
what does it mean for a director of operations or even a director of finance? Because even sending out a fee letter or an invoice is an experience. And we can we can send that invoice in a way that makes one feel um, uh, good and in a way that one potentially can feel less good. And so what we're saying is even the smallest of things that we do um, or the most administrative things can actually uh, be designed to be positive for the person who's experiencing it. And the reason why it's so important to have that alignment uh, between uh, what's actually happening in the school, what what that experience for students looks looks like once they are, uh, um, that, what that learning experience is, versus what is being told uh, when a family is going through the admissions process, versus what we're actually saying on the website. And what often happens in schools, as David mentioned before, they're they're complex places, is that even though the people working in schools are highly specialized, they're often also highly siloed. And that means that um, a marketing team might create a great website and an admissions team might might do a significant, like an amazing tour with the family. But what's important is that the story that we're telling, the experience that we're portraying at each stage of that life cycle is coherent. And this is where also the teachers have a significant role to play in terms of uh, uh basically uh, understanding what that looks like at earlier stages before the student is already part of that community. So you mentioned in, as you were describing this, uh, is this idea that you do this audit and you audit, you know, when you're working with uh, potential, I assume, customers or leadership teams, you do an audit. That audit, is that kind of covering some of these things like you talked about, David, you know, understanding this idea of silos and also making sure we know the different experiences. And how are people reacting when they look at this audit and they're suddenly thinking, wow, we never thought of that. Uh, wow. You know, yeah. what kind of feedback are you getting? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think essentially what we're asking people to do is um, take off their usual glasses by which they see the school, whatever lens they they are currently looking at their school through and to put on a pair of glasses that we call experience lens and and to see the school through that lens of experience just for a moment and see what it might feel like when we get when we get um have the conversation with schools with the audit results what we're able to do is actually help them see what is in place at different stages um and the level of coherence that is likely to be there um we also can um, begin to look at the, the the degree to which different stakeholder groups within the school, maybe the board, the leadership team, the advancement team, etc. Are they even themselves aligned in terms of understanding what's in place and uh, what's important and what's not? And I think it's in a way it's the audit itself. We often say it's not it's not uh, deeply scientific, but it is rooted in many years of doing this work. And it's like a mirror. And what we hope is that by holding up a mirror, it at least allows a school to say, does this ring true? Because our sense is that this experience, what's in place, is likely to be producing this kind of experience in your school. And one of the other things that we're now developing, which is the kind of sister tool to this, is actually what we call a felt experience indicator. It's actually a set of tools that will help schools measure whether or not that experience uh, is a good one or a less good one at different stages. Um, because, because it's really important for us to 
to look also not just at what's in place, the inputs, but also the outputs, and to consider at different stages how are families actually feeling about the experience and how can we measure that in ways that um, goes beyond the traditional are you satisfied or would you recommend this 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 school to somebody else and and i think this is where this work is becoming really interesting because it is rooted in um, quite a lot of data and when we talk about experience it's not just a nice to have that's why it's experience strategy this is critical for the business functioning of the school and it should have a direct impact on your enrollment, your word of mouth, your brand, your reputation, even the number of the amount, the amount of money you're fund you're raising funds for, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think what what we're taking from a, a more business centric world, some of those lessons that are really connecting to key metrics and bringing that into the educational sector, and saying there's quite a lot for us to learn here as educators and people who run schools. Do you think the stakes are that much higher nowadays? So we've had, you know, I, I've been in international schools years ago that just lived on their reputation and they had a very good reputation because they'd been 60 years around and then suddenly new schools start popping up, maybe using different strategies, different kind of experiences. Do you think today the stakes for an international school in this market are much more uh intense there's more at play and that's why this experience strategy becomes so much more important yeah absolutely i don't i don't think that you can leave the experience to chance as as much as you were able to do before um the, the international school market is getting more and more competitive no matter where you look in the world we we've, we've seen we're seeing differences in asia and europe um what happens is if you leave it to chance and families have a bad experience and you look at the metrics around word of mouth, a friend of ours, Aga, she, she's, um, she's doing the business side of experience strategy. And when she did this research, she found out that people have a bad experience. They will share it with anyone who wants to hear it for as long as they remember. Now, that is very bad marketing. <laughs> On the other hand, if they have a good experience, they will share it with those people close to them, around three to five people, friends, family, and it will have a, a shelf life of approximately a year. Now, if you think about a highly competitive market where schools are pushing more and more of their budget towards uh, marketing and campaigns and advertising, what we are saying is that it is much more um, uh, effective to start looking at intentionally designing that experience and to not leave that to chance anymore and to get some of those negative experiences out of the way and to get that positive uh, uh, word of mouth um, going. And this is where ultimately it has to do re with reputation, but you just cannot leave it to chance anymore. And one thing that I'm curious is what about social media? You know, you have a school and then some kids have their own uh, Instagram account with the logo of the school and the school name, and there's the Facebook group of parents, disgruntled parents, or whatever, you know, the staff association, those kind of things. What have you noticed about the impact of social media in that narrative that you're talking about, Suzette, is the, you know, if you have a negative, uh, negative message going out, the shelf life is quite long in the positive. Have you is that part of your uh, strategies also engaging with, I mean, social media is a little more, 
you're kind of not always in control of it. I'm just curious how that is being managed for you when you're talking to t people. I think I think it's um, one of the things I've always said about um, messages in schools is that um, it, it would be an illusion to to think that we can control everything about the messages that are out there, whether they're on social media or not. And one of the things I read recently is that uh, when it comes to word of mouth, it's important to understand that even today, with all the social media that we have around us, that word of mouth uh, is only about uh, six to seven percent of word of mouth is on social media. All the rest is all the other time that we're, we're living our lives and having dinners with people and meeting them at the corner of the street. And so we, we must give it importance. But there's a, a lot of other word of mouth going on that is not on social media. But the point is that we can't necessarily control all aspects of those that messaging any more that, than we can control the experience that any family has. There's always something that, you, you know, it, we're... As humans, we're not robots. We uh, there's always that wonderful unpredictability of what an experience might be, and this is where, in one sense, it's also the beauty of the experience can be surprisingly bad, but it also can be surprisingly good, and it's that it's that magic of the experience that you know. I think, and I think if you you go back to Disneyland, let's think about going to that theme park again. You know, there's a, it's a very complex set of things that have to happen that in, make you think of Disneyland as being that magical place for you and your children when you go. Um, and so what Disneyland are doing is they're saying, let's control the things that we can control and then, uh, you know, let the rest uh, evolve around it because that can actually take something away, but it can also add. So, you know, you can't control the weather, even if you run Disney. Um, so <laughs> So if you go to Disneyland Paris in particular, you know, we've maybe all remember a time when we've gone there and it's rained all day. It maybe takes something away from the overall experience. But if at the end of the day, the clouds begin to break and the sun is setting behind that castle and you have the parade, that, that magic moment will allow you to forget almost every drop of rain that has fallen on you for the whole day and made your sandwiches soggy. And so what we're saying is that in some ways, what schools need to think about is not controlling everything any more than they can control the message, but setting up the conditions whereby this magic can happen because it will happen if you put the right things in place. And if you, if you, if you give some time um, to creating these moments for people that really will last a lifetime. I think it's so important what you're saying, David, is that so often schools want to control the message and social media and they scour, they have Google alerts. Oh, this went on Facebook, panic stations. Let's have a, you know emergency meeting. And I think you know, what, what's really interesting is you're saying, don't worry about the control, but have a really strong message and experience message, really curate that positive message and really go into the detail and the nuances, because that in itself will be a force of good over whatever negativity might crop up at the same time. And I'm not sure that always as schools, we, we tend to like to focus on the negative more than the positive sometimes. Yeah, and, and I think what's key to mention is you don't have the ups without the downs, right? So you cannot create an ultimately amazing experience. Mm -hmm. There will always be parts of the experience that might be um, less interesting, like 
dropping off your kids at school. It might never be an amazing experience, and that's fine. It, it's about indeed the elements that you really that you can control and that have an impact for the family that mm. really brings mm. them to the next level, mm. and that's going to make the difference. I, th I think just one thing I'd add there, you, you know, and I apologize if this feels like a podcast that's more about hotels than it is about schools. But <laughs> if you think about if you think about TripAdvisor, um, one of the things we we've probably all done is is try to book that hotel, and we've gone to TripAdvisor see what people say. And if you think about the last time you saw nothing but five star reviews, um, all saying this is the best hotel we've ever uh, stayed at. Um, uh, and you, you know, I think if unless it's just me, I tend to get a little suspicious of that yeah. because it just feels like marketing. And what happens is, if you then see a, um, someone saying, "I'm going to give it one star," and this is why, it's because on this day they forgot that I was coming, they didn't have a room for me, etc. What you are then looking for is how does this hotel respond to something that was a bad experience, and if in that in those comments, you can see that the hotel has responded effectively in an authentic way, maybe apologized. Um, it actually is increasing. The evidence shows that it increases your likelihood to book that hotel than the hotel that is all five stars. And I think this is something we need to learn about in schools is that criticism is not necessarily a bad thing for your brand, but it's about how you take something and turn a negative experience into a positive experience is what parents are often looking for um, because that shows that it's an authentic institution that is also willing to learn and change and adapt. I think, David, that's so important, that point, is being able to turn a negative experience and then react in an authentic way as you use the analogy of the hotel. I think that is so important. What about rating? So, you know, when I go on Uber, I have to rate and I get rated and the Uber driver gets rated. I order pizza. Everybody's getting rated. Are schools working with this rating system? Is that as endemic as with a lot of service industry apps and even uh, my airline? I just wasn't actually in Brussels last weekend and my inbox is full of, you know, rate me, rate me. I'm just wondering how are schools managing that? And is there... Uh, a platform for international schools or are there, you know, great websites or, but there are there authentic places where parents can really get a sense of some ratings and reviews, or is that not yet very mature? I, I would say that, I would say that it depends on the different, you know, wherever you are in the world. And there are, there are, um, there are all sorts of lists out there. Um, in North America, it's much more common, maybe in the UK as well. Um, and 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 Asia and Europe in international schools tended to uh, steer away from those kinds of ratings. Although we'd all like to be in the the, the list of the ten best uh, international schools in Europe, etc. But I think I think the thing about rating is is understanding really the criteria because many schools are being are rated or be rating themselves against you know, academic outputs, examination results, etc. Uh, or criteria that are just not very clear, um, frankly. And I think um, one of the things that um, we're really interested in when we think about how we understand and measure the experience is um, is actually another idea from the world of experience strategy coming out of a company called Stone Mantle, where um, one of the founders of that company talks about the importance of moving beyond the net promoter score, which is 
that idea that you say, oh, this is why when you go to a shop, immediately when you get home, they're saying, how would you rate your experience? Would you recommend us to somebody else? And you rate them out of 10. And the net promoter score is a calculation that where you, where you basically take away all of those detractors who score one to six from those promoters if you score nine and 10. And that gives you a number. And what, what um, uh, Stone Mantle are basically saying is that let's move beyond that and start asking different kinds of questions of people who are our customers. And one question which we're really intrigued by is, was it time well spent? And I think for me, that really opens up an interesting conversation about as families journey through our school, as they uh, commit, in some cases, huge amounts of money, and also the investment of their children uh, in, in our community, um, one of the questions I think is the most interesting to ask is, while you were at our school, was it time well spent? Was it time well invested? Um, did you get what you were looking for? Did we deliver on our promise? And I think we talked about authenticity. And I think one of the things we have to do as we think about experiences is understanding how we can ask authentic questions of people. Because frankly, if we said, would you recommend a school to somebody else? I mean, it's it's a difficult one to answer authentically because the answer is probably well, it depends on what day. Um, <laughs> and and I think this is this is for us where the richness of some of experience strategy is coming from. That's a great question. Is uh, you know uh, that is just such a great question because I think there it it then allows the recipient to really describe multiple phases of their experience. And I think that's what you've been alluding to, is this idea that any entry into a school, there are multiple facets, as your life cycle so nicely describes that. One of the things that often people talk about is this idea of alumni. And, you know, you talk about your life cycle, and then you really emphasize at the end, Suzette, the importance of the alumni that there is some, you know, the, the life cycle actually very likely transitions to something different as the alumni. I know that in North America, especially if I went to UCLA, there's a whole advancement office. They, they really work very hard with their alumni. Uh, they generate incredible amount of money. My son was at the University of Michigan. It's just this, this culture where it is part of the culture of North America, part of the culture of people going to university. And I often hear this, especially in Europe, oh, this is not the European culture. First of all, fundraising. We don't do fundraising in Europe. Uh, no, we don't do alumni. And I'm wondering if you think that's a misconception or is it because people are not understanding uh, what that actually looks like? I think it's all coming back to the fact that people are so much focusing on their current community that often once uh, families leave the community it's a bit of an afterthought um, I think that uh, um, the the al alumni engagement in general is uh, highly underrated I see them as, as a significant goldmine and not in the sense when it comes to fundraising but ultimately your alumni are the product of learning in the school they are great when it comes to stories of where they ended up, the impact they're having on today's world, um, what the learning experience was in the school, the, 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 the guidance and mentoring they can give current students who are in the school. And I think the more 
uh, schools are able to understand the ways that they can stay connected to the to the alumni community and how that can be a give and take. Um, yeah, th there's so much opportunity right there. Mm -hmm. it, I, th I think, and I think they one of the things we feel it's important when you think about that alumni journey is that um, it, it doesn't. I mean, it, it doesn't. When a family leaves or a student leaves. They're going to be connected to your school for the rest of their life uh, in some way. It's a part of um, the school is a part of their story and and curating a sense of um, connection back to that school, again, is something that you can just try your luck and send an email every now and again. And you might get the odd bullseye, which, you know, strikes with an alarm and, and you know, then they're engaged. But the reality is you if you want to engage alumni, you have to curate that alumni experience as well. And so you have to think about what are the different things that you're going to do through the course of an alumni life that connects them to a sense of generosity, a sense of connection, a sense belonging, of belonging. Nostalgia. Yeah. And, and a few years ago, we did some research where we actually tried to map the wavelength, if you like, of an alumni life and think about when are they most likely or least likely to think about giving back to the institution? Or when do they most want that sense of nostalgia? And what we did was take all of that evidence and then begin to develop a strategy rooted in what alums were telling us was their experience of life. And one of the things we noticed, for example, is that basically people in their 30s or 40s were not that interested at that point, generally speaking, in giving back to the school. And if you think about it, there's a good reason, because most people, when they're in that phase of their life, they're trying to buy a house, settle down, maybe have a have family. Kids. So they're not really thinking about giving back, but at other points in their life, then they are. And understanding and, and building an experience which appreciates where they are and who they are, I think is critical. One thing as I'm talking to you and you're sharing these wonderful experiences and all this wisdom, I'm curious, you know, you always refer to your experiences in your previous setting. What suddenly made you decide like, okay, we're, we have all this experience. We are working with a school. We're going to jump ship. And, uh, you know, there's a saying that they say there are no profits in your own backyard. And I'm wondering if there was some of that where you suddenly said, wait, hold on. We have some really good ideas. Let's amplify them in a lot with a larger audience or I don't know. I'm just curious, you know, because it's so interesting when educators and people in international schools then transition into what we would call entrepreneurship uh, for a better word. Yeah. No, it's it's a very good question, John. And I, I mean, it, it didn't happen overnight. If if I look from my own experience, um, uh, we've been able to do so much at the school over the last uh, over the last few years. But for me, I was also um, reaching a certain ceiling. My only way up was by taking David's job, <laughs> and I liked working with David. <laughs> and, and so, uh, yeah, for us. The, it just started with a conversation and the idea of, of um, yeah, taking it to the next level and, um, and starting to look out there of what experience strategy really means and, and how that can apply to different school contexts. And I would, I would like to say that we just wanted to widen the playground in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it, it, it's, we didn't always call it experience strategy. I, yeah. I just think intuitively we were, 
trying to say to ourselves we need to we need to give families you know a better experience than we're giving them and that helped us improve um we also found ourselves in the fortunate position of being able to connect with schools around the world and and either through writing um through delivering workshops etc and as as Suzette said there came a point where either she had to take my job um uh, which I I wouldn't have minded but at times but to be honest I still needed a uh, salary um but that we also wanted to work together and and because we were very passionate about what we're doing here um we do think that yellow car in some ways provides a unique lens through which to see a school uh, even if that's just for a few hours during during a workshop but it's also that some schools are saying you know what we want to we want to really look quite deeply into this and really rethink aspects of what we're doing and and i think if we can support um the, the school in that way then then that's great uh, the other thing i would say is whenever you jump it's all, all always scary as hell um and and we've been connected to a great school for a long time that was our bread and butter but also our kind of social psychological safety and um and and now we've i would say that we probably learned more in the last seven or eight months than we have um in the last seven or eight years um because one of the things about being an entrepreneur is that you you you're always running both with the ideas in your mind but also trying to catch up with all those other aspects of running a business that you just previously never had to think about where each bringing like what we call a different superpower to the table i cannot do what david does <laughs> i think david cannot do what i do and Not this is where all. we see the same in schools uh, everyone has the superpower that they bring to the table and we strongly believe that we're better together it's also the idea behind the community the yellow car community that we've set up which was one of the first pillars of yellow car uh, which is this online space where uh, people interested in experience strategy working in or with schools are connecting with one another, celebrating, asking questions. And, um, and, and I think that's really at the heart of what we're trying to set up as well is, is yeah, it's being better together. You both are very passionate about what you do and you really, you have some very, very deep connections and understandings and, you know, you, you have this experience, it's so rich. Do you think that that passion sometimes is okay to drive over some, maybe some of the, the, the not insecurity, but those questions like, I have no idea how to do that, but we have a good idea and we move forward. It must be a fuel for you in some ways. No, totally. I mean, it's um, uh, it, it's 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 what we're doing is the most exciting thing that I can think of doing, um, and I'm sure Suzette feels the same. You know, I think it's uh, schools are in a very challenging situation right now, um, and in different parts of the world, um, it's different kinds of challenges. But fundamentally, there are big questions being asked right now about the future business models of international schools, for example. Um, and can those big traditional international schools uh, survive against uh, much more nimble, low-cost international schools that are popping up? And how are parents changing um, you know, the, the, the way in which they purchase? What are the new generation of parents 
looking for when they think about an international school for their child. These are massive challenges, um, which are demanding that schools need to rethink a little bit the, 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 the extent to which they are really delivering an experience that is going to be seen as um, significant value for money and value for their child. Um, and I do believe that as we think about the future of schools and international schools in particular, um, we, we, we probably are going to go into a phase where these schools are going to be looking more and more closely at um, that experience as a way of really standing out in the crowd. And David, uh, when you and Suzette were looking uh, at the market and you, you know, this idea that came up of experience strategy, did you, there are other people doing advancement work? There's, you know, there are a lot of organizations and companies that are doing that. What was it that you suddenly said, this nobody else is doing? Is that was the clinchers like we have this this little market or we have this idea that's so unique and I can't see it happening anywhere else. And that's what schools really need. I'm just wondering, because Yellow Car is very unique in its name and just your whole approach. I, I you know, having talked to other advanced people, but I haven't seen that approach. Was that the selling point for you to say, yes, we've got it. We can move forward. Well, funnily enough, it, it, it's happening when we're speaking to well, at conferences or workshops to other schools and realizing that uh, what we're doing is different. I actually think that the differentiation that we bring to the table as well as having actually implemented some of the elements that we're talking about in the school ourselves. Um, it's it's a it's a deep understanding of of not just giving some of the theory, but also understanding what that means on a practical level and and what that means day to day within a, within a school. Yeah, I think uh, if I can, I agree with you, Suzette. I think the one thing that's obvious as we talk is you're referring to things that you've done in a school setting. So you really have points of reference, be they successful or not successful. But it's not like you have this come up with this theory and say, in theory, this is going to work. But we actually don't know because we've never done it. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, we're in this inter interesting position now that we are outside of that context, but finding ourselves in a new set of schools, but now multiple schools where we are, in a sense, still learning whether things work and and, and taking a particular approach, which is very iterative, um, whether we're working with schools on helping them reshape their team to be more aligned to this kind of work, whether we're looking at schools who really want to um, look at some aspects of their visual identity, which is also, also part of the experience, whether we're look, working with schools that are going through some kind of crisis and helping them refine and shape the experience in a moment of crisis. These are all opportunities for us to keep on learning and stay connected to what is actually happening. And I think um, this is this is very purposeful in the way we've approached this, is that um, we are not delivering simply on, you know, a series of principles that we once learned and, you know, are set in stone because the context is constantly changing. And I think we just have to learn alongside people in schools now and 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 work it out as we go along but being very clear on what it is that we're bringing to the table um and the lens through which we really feel we ought to look at the one thing i was going to say as well going back to that idea of um you know did we find a niche and then say oh that's that's therefore the reason why we're going to do this actually was much simpler than that 
it was some it was basically what we most loved to do um and and i think that's something where it's something you know that i also want to teach my children as they think about the careers that they grow up and and start to do is that finding what you most love to do is is something that is so important and not everybody has that opportunity so if we have that opportunity right now then that's that's really great because we can um, be passionate about it and 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 make a difference for people around us absolutely and and that's just you know uh it's just so obvious as you talk and the depth of your experience and also making those connections from what you believe you have this kind of i'm going to call it a moral compass but your yellow car compass that kind of directs you and what you believe in and what you think are but the other thing that i'm hearing is there's this agility that you go into a school and say oh that's interesting nuanced nuanced experience we have that experience but it's different and i think that agility is something that you see with a lot of entrepreneurs able as you said david uh, you're learning as you go along but you do have a very clear vision and this experience strategy which is kind of your framework that you work with i just want to thank both of you because this has just been so interesting and uh, fascinating to hear and i i i I'm walking away just realizing as human beings experience and how we feel has such a deep impact on how we react long term or short term. And I think that's what is coming out of this conversation with you. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts or anything you wanted to share before we wrap up today. No, I think we just want to thank you for this conversation, John. Yeah, well, thank you, too. And uh, just want to remind listeners, Yellow Car, go to their website. It's, there's just a lot. And Suzette talked about the community. So it's more than just a website. There's a blog. There's just a lot going on. And uh, I definitely recommend that you read the blog. That will be in the show notes. So just when you click on the link right below, you can get information on David and Suzette and uh, Yellow Car. Both of you, thank you very much. I know you're traveling and you have a very busy schedule. I thank you so much uh, for taking the time. And we definitely will loop back next year to see how yellow car is. It might be a yellow Mack truck. Who knows? You know? <laughs> we'd, we'd be delighted to let you know about our journey. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you both. Safe travels. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you again. Bye. Bye. Bye.